Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. The wait is finally over. Football's back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action with Bet Online. For me personally, I'm still sticking to basketball season. I'm holding out hope that the Celtics come back and beat the Heat just because that's a personal preference. So I'm still willing to go all in on the Celtics despite them being down 3 1. So from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino, and it literally never closes. So head over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, everyone, welcome to this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm Matt Moderno. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Larry Hughes. Larry, as a lockdown defender, I need you to explain to me if this Celtics heat game the other night was really good defense or really bad offense, because I really couldn't tell watching that game. I think it's I think it's a combination of both. Okay. I think it's a combination of you know size, length, players being really good players, being really smart, uh really understanding angles and just the ability to shorten the court and play in less space than if you're playing man to man running around chasing guys. Mm-hmm. That's that's my initial thought is that one yeah you played zone for a strategy and it works for a certain amount of time, and then the other team has got to figure it out, or they'll score two or three times, and that coach will get out of it. Mm-hmm. But I think that's it's just um, it's a little bit this different for sure. I've been wondering with some of these games, like the shootings tailed off a little bit. Is that the bubble catching up to them? Is that just typical playoffs? Is it a little bit of both? My my gut assumption is always that it's like a little bit of both, but it's definitely. The, the pace people were shooting at early on, they're, they're not uh, hitting the, the same mark so far. Uh, all right, so Celtics are down 3-1. Is this series over, or do you, do you think they got to come back in them? You know what? It, it's the bubble, and we've seen a team that's, that has a lot of talent come back from 3-1 or come back from being down 3-1 sure. already. Yeah. And I think Boston still has you – know, they still have talent, and I think the – you know, from top to bottom, I think they have more talent than Miami. I think Miami's figured out how to play winning basketball in the last five to, you know, three to five minutes of the game. So I would definitely say that they have a chance for sure because of what we've seen, uh, the elimination of, of home court and fans and uh, the elimination of travel. Uh, so I definitely give them a, a fighter's chance. With like three minutes left in that game, I was just kind of convinced that any second the Celtics were going to take over. And there was just a couple really sloppy possessions where like nobody moved and they yeah. they all kind of waited for Jason to like do something. And, and 
I wasn't sure if that was like what they were trying to do and clear out for him, but it, things seemed to get really, really stagnant down the stretch. Well, I think it's it's a, a case of bad shot selection at the time, you know, with, with time and score, mm-hmm. and then turning the basketball over, you know, with that same sort of thought process as time and score. But a lot of times what I'm seeing is they're turning down a lot of rhythm two-point shots that are, you know, 15 to 18 feet, even 10 feet, sure. uh, and sometimes to throw it out to chase down a three-pointer. And I think both teams are doing it. Uh, but again, if you're not sound in those last three minutes, you know, you give yourself a good chance to lose the basketball game. But these teams are very, very close in thought process and, and, and system and understanding and, and kind of culture. And that's why the games are so close to me is that they all have that, that winning uh, pedigree, but they're just making the mistakes at the wrong time, you know, for, for Boston. I was kind of looking at it like, okay, well, you know, Boston, the key guys, most of them are are pretty young, so maybe this is learning curve, but there's probably more playoff experience from from Brown and Tatum than just about anybody else in the series. Uh, you know, Kemba is, is an older player, but obviously hasn't had a lot of postseason opportunity. So I, I kind of expected them to go to him a little bit more, maybe as like kind of a veteran steadying presence. But, you know, there's something to be said for he hasn't really been there before. I think that that's it. And just relying on the you know, the experience to take over uh, and that kind of that been there, done that. Uh, and maybe he's a little bit hesitant to step out and mm-hmm. have those conversations because he hasn't won, um, you know, in, in those those experiences. Uh, so I think it's a matter too. yes, having a vet that's been there and done that, uh, that you can rely on whether they're playing, you know, 30 minutes or they're playing, you know, 20 minutes or they're not playing at all. I mean, that, that stuff definitely helps, um, you know, in the playoffs. And Butler hasn't been like, you know, otherworldly in this series to give them a 3-1 lead. But there were two big buckets last night where from like nine feet, you know, he did a little fade away or a turnaround and, and that kind of sealed it for him. And I think just the, you know, somebody that's not afraid to go do that, it, it goes a long way. Yeah, he, he's been playing well. He's one player that's in the bubble that frustrates the hell out of me. Obviously, you want to get everyone involved in how you play the game. I mean, it's completely his process, but I think he's putting those guys behind the eight ball because he's, he's not aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's making those big shots, but at the same time, he's catching the basketball at the half court line with one hand. He's catching the basketball on the sideline with one hand. It's like, you know, we have to figure out what sort of player we're going to be. I mean, are we going to be that reliable guy or are we going to kind of sometime it? And that's a recipe for disaster because, Obviously, the team is going to rely on you in, in those certain instances, and you know that's a, that's a tough place to be at. I don't see you beating LeBron if you're sort of half into it and and picking your spots, and they need him in that next round, especially to be the guy that takes over. Yeah, no, it hurts. I mean, it, it hurts, and even in, at the end of the games, I mean, some of those touch shots that you have, they're not as as comfortable if you're not shooting the ball throughout the game. I mean, he shot an air ball from like six feet away, know. you know, in the second half. And that's not because he's not a good player or even a great player. It's just because he hasn't had those attempts and, and to get that touch to shoot the basketball. So when you get wide open shots, especially in the second half, you know, th- those are an easy make. But I hope that obviously he keeps playing the way he's playing. I'm just hoping that Boston, side note, I'm hoping that Boston steps in and takes advantage of uh, what I feel that he's not doing. 
It was interesting to me, too, that, you know, even the way he'd been playing, to me, he's still one of the more dangerous options for them to close the game out. But Boston put Hayward a lot on him down the stretch. And not that Hayward's a bad player, but he's coming off a bum ankle. You know, he hasn't played a ton. And you've got Brown, Tatum, and Smart on the court. I didn't really understand why they were going that route. Well, I think Jimmy's going to play on that right side. Mm-hmm. And, and Jimmy's going to try to uh, get as close to the basket without shooting a layup as possible. And I think with Gordon's with his strength, he's going to hold Jimmy off and he's going to keep him at bay as far as the shooting what he, the shot that he wants to shoot, mm-hmm. right? If he's going to drive and kick. But I think Jimmy is a guy that's going to catch that ball on the right side of the floor, a couple of dribbles, maybe baseline or pump fake, and, and, and try to get a shot off. And I think playing Gordon on him, I think just gives a, a bigger guy, you know, so you can take away that sort of part of his game. I was just looking around a couple times, though, and I was like, wait, you've got Tatum on Dragic, and like it just couldn't rationalize it in the moment. So that at least helps give me a little perspective. But this is a tough matchup for Boston with kind of their key lineup down the stretch. Like, it's a tough ask to have Jalen Brown be on Bam Adebayo for, for long stretches, and you saw a couple back taps or offensive rebounds that, that really killed them. So, yeah, so what does Boston have to do to win this? Like, what's the change you would make if you were them? Just that of what you said, I think they, they're getting a, a little bit of disadvantage with having to play Javen or those smaller guys on, on BAM and not having the Williams kid come off, you know, and play any sort of minutes as that mm-hmm. active big. I mean, he was effective, obviously, early, early on in the playoffs, but obviously we, we've ramped up the intensity, we've ramped up some of the strategies, and he's not playing as much, but... I think it's a game of strategies. They went with Cantor uh, as, as a big guy. You know, I think Williams would, would, is going to bring what they need from a protect the basket deflections. He just has to be smart enough to play the game. Yeah, he's got a little extra length and stuff like that. Uh, just, I don't know, giving guys different looks always seems to work too. Uh, I've been surprised by how short the rotation is. So uh, your godson struggled a little bit in the first half. There were questions of, is he hurt? Any insight there? How, how's our guy doing? Uh, I thought the same thing, you know, I thought the same thing, but it's just a matter of having those days off and then getting the body going, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple of those shots, he didn't have any lift and guy doesn't have any lift. The first thing you're going to think, oh, is he injured? Is it a knee or ankle? Something that's bothering him, nothing Mm -hmm. that can keep him out, but maybe something that's bothering him. So Madrillon was going the second half. Obviously you understand uh, the magnitude of, of, you know, of the second half, you get that shot to go from three, you really hold it, hold your follow through, get your legs involved, and then you see that ball go in, and so your next shot is similar to that, whether it goes in or not, now you're off and rolling. And I think that that's what happened, is he, he took that shot, he had everything under him, and you see 28 in the second half, which is definitely a good half. If he could have had 10 more points, seven points in the first half, you know, maybe that game is, is, is different. And hit those two late threes to kind of make that interesting. I, I really just was like, all right, now they're going to do it. So it was a little unlucky too. And I guess you can't really kind of game plan for, you know, Tyler Hero dropping almost 40 points. He was a guy that I went to summer league this year and I went to every one of the heat games because he Robinson and Kendrick Nunn were like clearly the kind of cream of the crop of the, of that whole tournament realistically. And they kind of rested mm-hmm. them late and didn't advance, but they were fun to watch because you saw a different dimension like, I just looked at him and saw Shooter because that's what he did at Kentucky. But, you know, he played point for them some at Summer League and he was, you know, getting a ton of rebounds and taking it coast to coast. Like, 
Yeah, this is a little bit more of what I expected to see based on that performance. Obviously, Summer League doesn't always translate, but uh, he's got a lot more game and he's starting to show it. Uh, that was kind of fun to watch. Well, he has a skill set. Uh, his, his major skill is he can shoot the basketball. And then obviously, once you work on all those other things, they, they open up the game for you, ball mm-hmm. handling, uh, watching film, understanding uh, plays that we want to run, understanding what the, the other team is doing so I can play better defense so I can stay on the court. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed by the, by the kid, man. I, he played at, his, at a good pace. He pay, played at a good rhythm. And then obviously, he shot the ball well. And they seem to have kind of encouraged him to go do that. You know, some teams you get a little like you kind of side eye the rookie if he takes that many shots. But by Jimmy taking a back seat and things like that, it's it's empowered those guys to some extent, I guess. Do you remember the one play? I forget who drove on him, but Marcus Smart went up and challenged them at the basket and they called it a block. I was curious what your perspective was because the, the announcers were going back and forth over whether it was a, a block or a charge and he didn't go straight up, but he also sort of beat him to the spot. I was curious what you thought about that one. Yeah, I'm going to have the offense win on that one because I think both teams are going to expect to get that call. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a good defensive play. I would, I would have been happy with the no call, uh, obviously, but when you take that big lunge and that jump, and there was just a little bit of contact. When they slowed it down, you see somewhat of a brush, but that can throw you off sure. you know, as an offensive player. So that was Dragic uh, going yeah. up on, on Smart. And yeah, I mean, Smart is a defensive player, and a lot of times you put the ref, put it in their hands whether you make an offensive call or a defensive call, and he did a good job of getting back. But I would have called that uh, two shots. That was one where, like, I most of these ones that they argue about, or you see the player call for a challenge. Like, I'm usually in one camp or the other, but I was like, oh shit, I really don't know what that should be. So that that's good perspective. Yeah, uh, that, that could be a, that could have been an inadvertent whistle and take the ball out on the side, and I would have been good with that. Yeah, exactly. I think you'd rather see that in that in that stage of the series is just sort of let them go at it a little bit, and you don't see that enough. I don't think of just sort of like. Let me swallow the whistle here and let them figure it out. Yeah. The Lakers are now up 3-1 since we last talked. Obviously, you had the wild play by, by Anthony Davis to, to win that game. Or no, they're up 2-1. Sorry. Denver could very easily be up in this series. Uh, what have you thought about that matchup so far? Again, we're in the bubble. Uh, anything can happen. Uh, two talented groups. Uh, you got two guys on the Lakers that can con- control a game. Bron and A.D., you got two guys on Denver can control the game, the Joker and Murray. So you have evenly matched, you know, teams that are playing in a bubble and they're playing on neutral sites. So when you get to this level of play, you should expect all the games, the series to go seven. Uh, that's how equally matched the teams are. Uh, whether they're young, inexperienced, these guys have talent uh, and they have good coaching uh, and they have guys that are putting them in the right positions to be successful. I like what they're doing as, as an entire team, coaching staff involved. So I definitely think that they have a, a chance to win the series. And when we look at game three, you understand that there's a little bit different mindset that a team is going to go into that next game if you're up 2-0 as opposed to 1-1. Yeah. So looking at game three and a game that Denver wins, it's still tough to say, hey, Game two goes this way, then they could be up 2-1 because Lakers the Lakers did the clearly, exact same thing. Yeah, the Lakers clearly didn't come out with that take everything mentality. Sure. Uh, and that shows with having three, four rebounds, you know, between all that size on the court. But yeah, I think that, that definitely these guys have 
you know, a, a good chance to, to win the series because I think it'll be a long series. Based on what you just said there, if, if you're L.A., you're not surprised that you just got Denver's best punch. You're probably not worried about the result of that game. Like, is that an easy one to kind of shrug off? Like, eh, it was their night, you know, we're still good. I, I think so. I think game three is always the, the tail sign of, of the series, right? I mean, even if you're up 2-0 and you game three, you win that game, and it's just a different mindset. Now all the pressure is on you, even though you've won two basketball games. So I think that there's nothing different. Denver won that game three, which gives them the edge going into the next game. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's all that it is, is that they won the last game. It's now pushed to the Lakers to make their adjustment. And then we'll see what happens in, in game four, knowing and preparing to have a long series, no matter what happens in game, in game four, game five. I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah, there you go. I'm going to put you on the spot. Denver or Lakers in game four? I have the Lakers in game four. Yeah, I have the Lakers in game four. They have what it takes to win a championship this year, and I don't expect them to to, to fall short. Although anything can happen, I still expect for the Lakers uh, to win the, the championship, and I've obviously been wrong before, uh, so there's no, you know, no sweat off my back. But at the end of the day, I think the Lakers, you know, have what it takes to to win this NBA championship. Totally with you. I think we were both, uh, you know, having them go go deep early on. So I'd I'd love for us to stick with our pick and have some credibility. You know, if if they can pull it out. The the fun thing about that series though has been all of the just the funny memes and stuff that have come out of it. Like, okay, Denver's only one game away from you know one loss away from now coming back to win the series. And I've liked the jokes at all the Clippers' expense. You know, just just based on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, those guys are, are home watching now. You know, the, the last few teams are left in the bubble. Uh, you got some some action going on around the NBA where the teams are getting into, you know, sort of mini camps. So you're the last, you know, you're the last four teams standing, man. You can, your fan base can crack all the jokes that they want and have some fun with it. That's the, that's the best part. Hopefully uh, we'll see that here in Washington again in a couple of years, maybe, uh, you know, maybe even next year we can make a deep playoff run again. So that'd be good. Uh, one other thing I, I've been wanting to ask you too, and just it's the broadcasts for me. Like there's definitely some <clears throat> different crews that aren't, you know, the typical pairings and stuff like that. Who for you watching the game is either, this could be different groups, but who's either most entertaining or who do you kind of get, who do you like their basketball analysis the most? Uh, it's the, the Van Gundys. Okay. Uh, yeah, both Jeff and Stan, because they they interject some entertainment in there, some stories, but they're great basketball minds, and they always talk about, although the game is a lot of entertainment, a lot of things are, are done to make the game you know, more exciting to watch, they always talk about the nuances that go on between the lines of either what players are thinking, what coaches are thinking, you know, how to maneuver around just certain scenarios of, of the game or the late shot clock or whatever the case is. But I like their basketball knowledge, but also like their their entertainment uh, that they bring to the to, to the broadcast. Yeah, I've been surprised how good Stan Van Gundy is just because he hasn't done it before. Like, no matter how good you are about talking about basketball, like doing play-by-play is really hard and color commentating is really hard. And, and he's seamlessly transitioned into that. Uh the reason I ask is I just can't get on board with the Chris Webber, Reggie Miller combo. Uh, like I like both of them individually. Like 
think Chris Weber's really good in studio. I think Reggie's good calling the game. But that pairing just seems like really forced to me. And and I've I've muted my TV a couple times. So I'm not loving it. That's that's what it is. I think it just has to be natural. Yeah. I think it has to be natural. And and you know, as as you're watching and, and hearing like little, you know, little comments, I don't really pay attention. So I don't yeah. I, mean, I don't really pay attention to the degree that I would have to mute my television, right? <laughs> I've heard some I've heard some weird things that C Webb would say or like Reggie would just go on a joke that like wasn't funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I haven't muted my television just yet <laughs> for those guys. It's funny. My, my wife goes to bed a little earlier than I do. And these games have been going pretty late. So it's like, I'm listening with headphones. It's quiet in my house. Like they're the only thing I hear. And I'm like, what are these dudes talking about? Like, uh, it's just at least, you know, Jeff and, and Mark Jackson, like those guys, it's kind of the same shtick. So like, you know where they're going with it. Like, I, I guess maybe because it's familiar, it helps too. But I was very much thinking like, all right, I, I got to ask a credible source here. You know, who do players get value out of listening to? All right. Thanks for the perspective there, Larry. Always good to kind of check in on the playoffs again. Been really good basketball. At this point, we're going to segue a little bit to our sort of first fan correspondent to come in and and ask some questions and uh, get some engagement going here a little bit. So we're going to be joined by Fitz Cantrell here in a second. So after this quick little pause, we'll be back. And again, you guys can still enter that and we'll be announcing our next winner at the end of the episode. All right, everybody, we're back here with Fitz Cantrell, our first fan correspondent here to come in and ask some questions, talk a little playoff hoops. And Fitz, your longtime Bullets slash Wizards fan, tell us a little bit about your, your history as a fan. Uh, let's see, I grew up in uh, Northeast Washington, D.C., and uh, followed the Wizard, uh, the Bullets initially, uh, and uh, my dad got the championship poster, uh, I guess it was 78, hung that up, and then late in the late 80s I really started following them and uh loved the the teams with Gil and uh and then the you know the most recent teams with uh John and Brad so been you know die hard since the late 80s really I like it an OG fan we appreciate yeah. it for sure so you got a couple questions here for Larry so I'm just gonna let you uh take it away with the first one here okay great thanks uh hey Larry uh uh Tommy Shepard the GM has talked a lot about trying to change the uh, culture of the Wizards. And uh, they made a deliberate effort to hire several like player development type uh, support personnel for the uh, organization. And then they made a deliberate effort also to like draft players of what they deem as high character with uh, high basketball IQ, hard, hard work ethic, et cetera. I did a little research on you, Larry. You played, it was like eight teams and 14 years, something like that. What, what were the type of cultures that stood out to you on the teams that you played for? The, and what did the Wizards need to do to kind of improve their culture? I think it's, it's culture is a word that's been thrown around. That just means that everybody's on the same page, marching uh, to the same beat, trying to accomplish the same goals. And those usually come from, obviously, the, the top down. It starts with an owner, goes to the president or general manager, and then it makes it to the coaches. And then there's a collaboration on the sort of players and the sort of environment that those guys want to have and what is going to be the best uh, culture fit uh, for, the, for the particular organization. I say Washington had good culture when I was there. Cleveland had good culture when I was there. All of these things change and can change because management can change and the different idea of what culture means. I think it's different for, for everyone. Uh, but 
you know, in general, for me, it's having everyone on the same page, sacrificing, uh, giving up their own Mm -hmm. uh, individual goals to reach a team goal. You can't do that without uh, sacrifice. And the underlining of of sacrifice for me is the the culture that you bring um, where everyone can fall into into line and fall under those, those marching orders. Oh, it's good stuff. Uh, Larry, you played with a young LeBron when you were in Cleveland. And uh, when I look at this Laker team, you know, w- what do you see with LeBron's development as a leader? You look at uh, Rondo, Dwight, J.R., Dion. These are guys that phenomenal on-court talents, uh, but off the court weren't always on the same page with, you know, whether it be a coach or a player or a GM or more, more likely their role. And all these guys are locked in for the Lakers. You see Jr. you know, clapping and dancing and not getting in games. And how much of that is LeBron in your eyes? I think a lot of it is LeBron. I think he obviously relies a lot on his teammates because that's the type of player and person that he is. But I think that a guy who's been to the finals and has won as many times as, as he has, just to get the opportunity to know if you're playing with that guy, you're going to be all in. You're going to be locked in because of his track record, right? If, if you give him everything that you have, he's going to give you what's needed to reach your goal. And all of us play to win a championship. At the end of the day, we want to win a championship. And when you get players that have been in certain situations, and I tell, this, I tell Matt this all the time, a lot of times we always look at the player, but we have to look at the situations that these players are in, whether it be coaching staff, whether it be management, and understand what sort of environments these players have been in. And when you get into a situation where you're playing with LeBron James, who has been the face of the league for a number of years, who is always in the running uh, for a championship, he makes you take your sacrifices to a different level. And I think that that's what these guys are doing is that they're putting all of of the things that they want to accomplish individually or or if they want to be talked about on TV, they're putting those things aside because they have the the chance to do what we all want to do and that's win a championship. So Larry, if if part of that is LeBron has not been shy about uh, if a guy he doesn't think can help him win, that guy doesn't stick around very long, you know, maybe indirectly, I think teams understand that. How, how much of that is a player of, if LeBron wants you there, it's kind of a compliment to you. You know, he thinks he can help you win. Does that, does that kind of like give you a peace of mind too, that, that they feel like you can add value and, and make you feel a little more comfortable in that role? No, I, I think we are all stars in our, in our own right. And I think we all bring a lot to the table. So I, I hope that we wouldn't or guys wouldn't put that much pressure on, on LeBron. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, I think it is an opportunity. I think it is an opportunity for players to, to, to move up because if you're playing on a team with LeBron, you're going to play on TV 90% of the time during the NBA, game, during the NBA season. So again, if you're not going to stick there, right, if that, that's not, you don't have a long-term contract there, playing with a guy like that and being exposed to, you know, the world, you know, on television with different general managers watching, everybody can watch you. It just gives you other opportunities to, to now further uh, your career, whether you're playing with LeBron or not. Uh, Larry, one of the things I liked about you as a player 
when you were, especially when you were with the Wizards, was your defense. Uh, I remember I was really bummed when they didn't resign you. And I love the podcast where you talk about the behind the scenes business piece of that. Uh, and because and, I didn't know, I was like, okay, he dissed us for Cleveland, you know. And uh, but speaking of the, the thing that I liked about you best was your defense. And, uh, you know, right now the Wizards are like statistically one of the worst defensive teams in the league. And I actually heard somewhere that they were like up there with some of the all time low of the NBA. What and I hear when they draft players, they look at, you know, the wingspan, vertical quickness um, and, and some sometimes even things like high hips. I'm still figuring that one out. But uh, how much of defense at the NBA level is uh, commitment and preparation? How much of it is, uh, you know, these things, these other aspects? Well, I, th- I think you hit it at the end is that commitment and that preparation. Uh, being in, in great condition to, to play in an NBA game is, is very important. Um, definitely on the offensive end, but especially on the defensive end. If you can go longer, if you can stretch those times out where you can rotate, uh, you can – because the game now is, is so spread out, you have to get from corner to basket or corner to corner. Um, a lot of these guys aren't making that extra effort to, to make that rotation. And again, it's about the culture of what sort of team we want to be. And those are the players, obviously, you draft. But at the same time, they're coming from a different system. You know, in college, it's definitely not like the NBA. So you're not going to get a, a clean you know, a clean representation of who they are, you know, from a defensive standpoint, just because they did well in college. So I think it's more of these guys wanting to play defense. And you take example, like a Miami team, these guys are playing zone and they're, they're consistently putting two guys on the basketball, which is a, a mortal sin, but they're able to rotate and communicate because they know what's at stake. And I think that that's what you have to have when you're building and talking about defense is, is a no-nonsense sort of attitude. And although we rely heavily on the offensive side, they get all the bells and whistles. But in the locker room, in the practice room, in the film room, we're really concerned about what we're doing on the defensive end. And I think that that's the mentality that you should have when you talk about changing the culture or changing the attitude and the mindset of, of professional players that are that are trying to win. I mean, you know, you got to score, but at the end of the day, like you're saying, you don't want to be on anybody's bad list, especially on the defensive side. You just give the offensive team more confidence to come in and kick your butt when you rank so low or so high, whatever it is on that defensive list of being a, a bad defensive team. If you knew you were about to play a team that was like historically bad or the bottom of the league, you know, were you expecting like, all right, I'm going to come in and I'm, I'm going for a career high tonight. Like, does that extra pump you up knowing that that's who you're about to play? That's it. That's it. As a professional player, you only need some sort of edge. You only need something that you feel is your edge that gives you that competitive advantage. And if I'm seeing a team that's on the bottom of that list, I'm telling my guys, Hey, you know what we got tonight you know that they're going to give us everything that we want tonight. And that's the mentality that we go out with and every shot that we're taking, especially in the first three minutes, we know it's good because they're not playing any defense. And that's the mentality that, you know, that you, that you pick up on. Matt, uh, I have a question for you. Can you tell me a little bit uh, about your background uh, in basketball and in journalism? Uh, I follow the bullets forever blog and I've seen a couple of your articles that were very good. Uh, but I'm interested to know more about you, Matt. 
Oh, well, I, I appreciate it. Um, um, uh, my basketball resume is a lot shorter than my journalism resume. I can tell you that much right off the start. I, I'm a very underwhelming basketball player. Uh, you know, I focused a lot on other sports growing up, but but basketball has been my love. It's one of those things where it just you always kind of come back to the stuff you like. I went to the University of Maryland. Uh, I have a broadcast journalism degree. You know, it's a, obviously a pretty well-regarded journalism program. So I uh, got some good training there. got to work from, uh, you know, work around some good folks, learn the ropes. Uh, I interned on the John Thompson radio show, got to learn from Coach Thompson a little bit. So RIP Coach Thompson, uh, which is, you know, very, very sad because he was like, the nicest man you could be around. You know, he was like everybody in the building's grandfather and just would take time with you. And you could go up to him with a basketball question and he'd spend as much time as he had kind of walking you through what he thought or telling you good stories. So I learned a lot doing that. You know, I've coached uh, some youth teams and stuff, you know, the 12 to 14 age group in the past, things like that, just to try to stay involved in the game. You know, my wife and I moved a couple of years ago, so haven't done that in our, in our new house, but I'd like to, you know, get on with an AAU team or something like that to get a little bit back involved once all the pandemic stuff dies down. Uh, but yeah, just written for different media outlets, you know, throughout the years, worked for Masson for a while, worked for ESPN radio, wrote for Draft Express for a while, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, journalism is a tough gig and it's it's hard when that's sort of your your main thing. So uh, this is just a side hobby for me and uh, got back into some writing in the last couple of years and they were going to do this podcast. So uh, submitted a resume and all that good stuff and then got partnered up with Larry here. So the rest is, uh, is kind of history from there. Well, you guys make a great team. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I consume a lot of basketball uh, content, whether it be on YouTube or podcast. I've listened to all the every Bullets Wizards podcast available. Uh, the thing that you guys have that stands out from the others, uh, number one is a is a consistent player representative like Larry. And Larry, you are very well respected uh, in the league. And so that gives a unique perspective. And Matt, you bring a very professional journalistic approach to the podcast. Uh, last last question for you guys, uh, then I'll be out. I, I sent this uh, YouTube video to Matt, Larry. I don't know if you saw it a while ago, but it was uh, it was referenced kind of like the theory the, of who is the next Michael Jordan, how oftentimes players will get hot for a period of time and go on streaks uh, like Lynn Sanity and um, the Indiana player, I guess. And TJ Warren. TJ Warren, exactly. And um, what they did, a statistical analysis, deep dive, going back years of saying how often these players, they hit these peaks, but they go back down to where they started. And uh, they actually referenced you, Larry, as one of the few exceptions. And you know, you always hear this, oh, any given day, a baller, you know, at the NBA can go off, but they can't really sustain it. And what comes to mind with you, Larry, is what I want to ask is like, what's that? How do you stay that mindset of staying confident, you know, once you've kind of ended a streak and you're still like, you've got to continue performing at the highest level you can? Because it seems like that confidence is such a hard thing, you know, especially for a shooting guard. What was that like when you kind of made your spurt and then you were able to sustain a high level of, of success? I think that that's, that's, that is a great question. I was actually having a conversation with a couple of my buddies, you know, just last week, just about you know, 
when you get hot or when we talk about players because it's you know we're such a microwave society right now so the player that we saw go for 37 like a hero last night now he's a superstar the next day and these guys are great right i mean playing in the nba top guys you know in the world so we have to give credit where it's due i mean i take great pride in being one of those guys for 13 you know, we say 14 years, but really 13 years of being in that group of the best players in the world to do it. Um, so what that tells me is in order to be considered a player for me and not just a flash guy is three years of consistent play and not saying that every night out of those three years, you're going to have a great night, not saying that those three years, you're going to average 25. But for those three years, you are very consistent. You are, you know, you have your highlights, you have your things that you do well, you have your things that you're relied on, but you're doing those things for three years. And to speak about myself, I did for three years have a couple different times for three years had a had a nice stretch. And for me, when I look back at my career, my game, is that I didn't put that fourth year. In. So it wasn't four consecutive years of being consistent and playing at a very high level. It really solidifies what the, you know, what the books say. I mean, I, I feel like I'm a great player no matter what anybody says, but I feel like where I fall short at in the space is that four consecutive years of knowing exactly what you're going to get from Larry Hughes. And for me, it's not about one game, the next game, you know, it's not about, you know, four or five games. For me, it's about a minimum of three years. Wow. That's all I have, guys. I'm tapped out on questions. Uh, no, that was great. Um, I think those were, those were really good kind of thought-provoking yeah. questions, too. And, and that's why we want to do this. It's actually Larry's idea, and I think it was a great one to to kind of bring a different perspective and, and get some, uh, you know, different different ideas and thoughts in here. So, Fitz, thanks for joining us. Thanks for the support. Um, we appreciate it. We hope we uh, hope to tell a couple friends too. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Chris, appreciate you, man. Appreciate you for jumping on. All right, folks, you heard it there. That was sort of our first uh, first fan correspondent coming in to ask some good questions. Larry, what'd you think? Uh, it was good, man. Fitz put together some great questions. Uh, like you said, thought provoking and not just uh, you know he just didn't shoot from the hip. So I definitely appreciate Fitz for for jumping on. So that's a note to everybody else out there that gets a crack at this. Do your homework. Come in come in ready to go. Uh, our second winner will be, and uh, pardon the uh, pronunciation here, I promise I'll get it right for your appearance, but Jishnu Pirahela. I'll email you after this. You will be contestant number two. So uh, look for that email, and uh, we're excited to keep this going. So if you haven't submitted an entry yet, please do so, and make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and all that good stuff. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.